Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Kim M. Terrell. Welcome to Trinos and the Lived Experience. I'm your host, Cameron Aline Maharet Terrell, aka Trinos. Say it with your whole chest or be crushed under the weight of exposure. This is Trinos and the Lived Experience, the show that told you to duck. Um, once again, this is a new episode. I just got back from vacation. What would be, it's been a week now, a whole week since I got back, and I thought I would be coming back relaxed and uh, ready to just dive into things, but I had to take an additional week off for what we're going to talk about today. Um, I wanted, I was throwing around episodes in my head and what the title for this episode would be, and like I had all these really complex things that I wanted to say, but at the end of the day, um, there's only one way uh, to title this episode. Today's episode is titled Betrayer. Um, when I say betrayer, what do you mean? So we've all had that one friend as trans people, as black people, we've all had that one friend that we believed like with all of our heart was not going to cross certain lines. And then they do. And then you're faced with a choice. Do you forgive or don't you? Now let's just get into it. My cousin Chalanda, shout out to my cousin Shalanda Simpson, rest in peace. Um, I inherited this friend from them. I had came across this friend's family several times in my youth. We're going to go all the way back to when I was 12 years old. The first time I was ever called a nigger or the N-word, the first time I ever had to endure that, it was done uh, by a little girl in my class at, in seventh grade. Uh, She tormented me. She would yell it across the room. She would often spit at me. I don't know what the vitriol came from. I think the very first time I spoke to her, I said, hi, my dead name is, and I put my hand out and she called me a monkey and spit in my hand. Now at 12, I had a a slight understanding of race relations um, in the world. I knew that there was a history of white people hating black people. But up to this point, I had pretty much either been shielded from it by circumstance. It's not that my parents went out of their way to shield me from it. They also constantly told me about it. Um, but again, twelve when I was 12 years old, this girl in my class uh, called me the N-word, called me monkey. Uh, she spit at me. Uh, and there were times where she dropped the F-slur because I was visibly homosexual when I was young. I was just, you could just tell what I was going to be when I grew up. This was before I put on the husk uh, that became Gabriel Saint. So fast forward, um, my cousin Shalanda and me, we used to go to Vertex all the time and I ran across the person who did that to me. I ran across them and their sister in a club and they were super apologetic about it and like they swore that it would never happen again. And I was forgiving. I was forgiving because I was like, we were children. You know better now. You're saying that you know better now. I'm going to take you at face value. Um, I did that for as long as I possibly could. Um, Fast forward to 27. We jumped from 12 
to 21. Now we're at 27. Uh, at 27 years old, uh, my cousin Shalanda was murdered. Um, and what happened after that was I inherited her friend. Um, I'm not going to say this person's last name, but I will say their first name because hopefully you're watching or you'll be hearing this when it comes out. It's going to come out um, next Monday. This upcoming Monday is going to come out. Um, so I met this person literally a couple months before my cousin was murdered. Like we hung out a couple times, but we weren't like close. And then when my cousin was murdered, uh, this person went out of their way to center themselves in the death of my family member. They went out of their way, uh, for ownership of the spirit of my dead cousin. And I've always found that weird. My cousin's name is always invoked at the worst times by this person. Uh, shout out to Terry for always, always tokenizing us, even when we're dead. I said something about it. Uh, it kind of just was absorbed. At some point with grief, I needed to feel closer to where my cousin was and what she was doing and who she knew. So I sought those places out. I kept going to the places that we used to go. I kept speaking to the people that she introduced me to. And this brought me at somehow, some way, like I was in the middle of the morning process and I was just kind of told like, you're going to move in with me. Uh, like we need each other. And I was like, well, that sounds, that sounds logical. Like we both love this person so much that it just makes sense for us to be friends. And I didn't take into account the history of this person. I didn't take into account the history of this family. Going back to when I was 12 years old, let's just be real. If I, if I fell back on that, that information that I had already gathered from them, they're all racist. Now it's not fair to say all of them, but a majority of them are. And, um, the ones that aren't, work really hard not to be. And it's really apparent that they work really hard not to be. They see what their other family members are doing and saying, and they just are like, that doesn't feel right to me. Can we talk about this? Can you tell me more about this? But I'm going to tell you for certain, I have been called the N-word by at least 80% of them. At least. It has happened at least once with all of them. <laughs> um, so to get back to what we were talking about, so we moved in together. Um, I had to watch this person go through horrendous mood swings, up and down, up and down, up and down. And I thought, it's grief. I'm going to be there for this person and I'm going to help. I'm going to help. I'm going to try to make things easier. I'm going to try to set the mood for them. I'm going to try to make sure that, that I don't have to walk on eggshells by making sure that they're always calm. That was my first mistake. That was my first mistake. Um... No adult needs to be coddled that much. I learned through the process of living with this person that they have no filter, that they have no handle on rage, that they think they're allowed to do whatever they want because they're upset. And I've watched it happen over and over and over again. And I told myself, oh, it'll never happen to me. It'll never happen to me because I'm the, the nurturer. I'm the protector. I'm constantly here. I'm the, the, the shoulder to lean on. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the ear to like to, to scream to. I'm the ear to cry to. I was all of those things. And in the midst of all of those things happened, I got used to blow-ups. I got used to being talked down to. I got used to someone who is not as intelligent as I am condescending me 
all the time. And at some point right around when I met my ex, I realized that like I was living my life in the service of this person that I didn't even know if I liked. I cared about them. I cared about them and I didn't want anything to befall them. I didn't want anything to hurt them. But I didn't know if I liked them anymore. Because after like watching uh, a blow up after blow up after blow up, it gives you PTSD. It gives you a complex. Every time her voice rose, I was like, what's going on now? What do I have to fix now? How is my peace going to be interrupted? Mind you, they're mourning the death of my cousin. I am also mourning the death of my cousin. It was always about them, though. And like I, I'm going to say it one more time. They invoked the name of my dead cousin whenever it suited them. They cry at her gravesite. They go there and they take things from it. Dirt. Rocks. Little pieces of things that other people left. Uh, even at one point, asked asked me, did I think it would be cool if they would go to my cousin's grave and have sex on it? I lost my temper that day. I lost my temper that day, and I tried to hold it together as, as best I could. Don't you ever... Don't you ever ask me anything like that, one, two, and don't you dare do it because it's mega disrespectful. I don't know how anybody else feels about, like, uh, grave sites or, like, or loved ones, but I just found that to be highly disrespectful, and I realized in that moment that it was a moment where this person is absolutely way too comfortable with me. Way too comfortable with me. We've all heard stories about what I used to be and how I used to move. If this person was anyone else, if I was anyone else, this person would have got beat up multiple times, just just multiple times for those trespasses, trespass after trespass after trespass. And I kept turning my cheek and turning my cheek because I wanted to be the better person. And I've learned over time that when people go low, that it is my duty to take us to hell. And that's what I'm doing from now on. But I don't want to skip where we are in the story. So fast forward again, um, I come over to hang out with Terry at her house and we're hanging out and like we had this long conversation over the phone because I was in the middle of depression it was like right before I was supposed to be getting my surgeries and I was told that I needed to like waist train and I needed to lose a bit of weight and I just kind of felt defeated because I had like let dysphoria put this weight on me I let um, my inability to be outside do things to me like I had just been freshly attacked a few years before I was borderline agoraphobic it took everything in me to drive to this person's house to hang out with them to make them feel better they're telling me about how oh they stopped doing uh, uh, drugs and that they wanted to like just hang out and we were going to watch television together and watch a bunch of movies and what I did that day was I went over there and I ended up sitting in their room and listening to an event about like arguments that they're having with their family members because they're always starting shit with their family members I'm listening to this person downplay of uh, their sisters listening to this person trash everybody and tell their business and I was just like sitting in that and feeling the way I was feeling, I was like, wait a minute. Like, if this is being said about them, then I know it'll be said about me. I, 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 I saw the red flag that night. So at some point, I wasn't feeling too good. Because once again, I'm a borderline agoraphobic at this point. So I was like out of my element. I, I wanted to go home, but I didn't want to let this person down. I didn't want them thinking it was because of them. So I went downstairs. Um, I used the restroom splashing water on my face to try to snap myself out of it. So I was downstairs probably about five minutes. 
I come back up the stairs. I notice there's like a cigarette box turned over on its back. So that like, well, turned over on its top. There's a bunch of lines of K on it. And I say something about it like, hey, you should probably take it easy. You know, I don't like that stuff. Oh no, it's not that big of a deal. I just, I'm in a lot of pain right now and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm trying to listen to that. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to, this is their house. I can't tell them what to do. So I just kind of look down. We're watching TV. All of a sudden in the middle of whatever we were watching, they have another like just temper tantrum. And in the midst of this temper tantrum, like they changed the channel. And when they changed the channel, it all of a sudden ended up on some like news article about monuments being removed, Confederate monuments. And a conversation ensued about Confederate monuments. Now, I'm going to say verbatim what I said when I was asked how I felt about Confederate monuments as a black trans person. Among among other things, but mainly black trans. I was asked, what do you feel about the monuments? What do you think should be done with them? I think they should be dismantled, and I think they should be taken to a museum. They have no place in public in the public spaces. They have no space on um in on government lands. They shouldn't be flown, they should not be prostrated, they should not be uh tourist icons, they should be taken down and removed from public life unless you want to go all the way to a museum to look at them. And then they should be documented for what they are. Propaganda to make us believe something other than the truth about the Civil War. And when I said that, uh, this person, once again, touching on the fact that this person, um, oh, I'm not going to do this person thing, that Terry is not as uh, knowledgeable of history as I am, because she's afforded not to be. That is a leisure she gets to have. She doesn't know history. She's not very eloquent. She doesn't listen to understand. She listens and waits for her turn. The question was loaded. The question was loaded because she wanted someone to explode on. And I always kind of knew that Terry gets a little bit mouthy when she feels comfortable. So when I said what I had to say, this person flies into a frenzy, gets up, starts stomping around, mumbling under their breath, calling me all kinds of names, walks down the stairs, slamming things, yelling in the bathroom while they're peeing, like I'm just not brave enough to have a discussion with me or ask me what I really said. I don't know to this day what they think I said. I don't care. I don't care what they think I said. I know what I said, and I know I have a much more well-rounded grasp of actual history than this fucking plebeian. So they come up the stairs. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave because I don't like the way you're talking. And they said, if if you want to fucking leave, then just leave. That's why you're... She said a whole bunch of stuff about my family. My mother and father were drug addicts. My mom was a recovering drug addict. Um, my mother passed away, like literally a couple years before this happened. <clears throat> she said something about my mother not loving me, and that's why her or her in her in a or her uh, n word ass is dead. Uh, that's why no one cares about me because I'm a weird tranny, and that I should get my n word ass out of her house before she hurts me. Now let's talk about scale. I am almost six feet tall. I am 
at the time this thing happened, I was 265 and my hands still work. This person who was always complaining about falls hurting them too much or them getting bruised from bumping into things felt so comfortable that they thought that they were going to throw punches or threaten violence against me with no repercussions. Absolutely none. And that's when I realized that I allowed this. I allowed this because I coddled and I watched over them and I protected them and I stood up for them even at times when they were wrong. I stood up for them. And, and because of that, the transaction was that I can be dehumanized because they're too comfortable. I helped build this betrayal. And when it first happened, I thought to myself, like, I could pick you up and throw you through a wall, but that would make me no better than you. I believed it wholeheartedly that if I picked this person up or if I did something violent, that I would be dropped to their level. And that is some kind of conditioning that almost every black person put in that situation has to feel. We feel like we have no resort, no retort to those kind of instances, because even if it's justified, we're not given the benefit of the doubt. And she played on that. I left. Uh, she started calling me. And now, now I want you to all hear this. She started calling me. And while she was calling me, she was telling me that I was harassing her. Now, if you look at, uh, at my Instagrams, I have posted the text messages from this time period. They jump back and forth. I never initiated the conversation once I left. Never. I just said, when you wake up from whatever drug you're on, you and you realize what you did, like, I hope that you are embarrassed. I hope that you realize that I don't trust you anymore. I hope that you realize that that whole sister thing you were talking about between us is over. I met it with every fiber of my being because that was as far as I can go. Like I said, I wanted, I wanted to do damage, but it doesn't. Me doing that sinks my level, sinks, sinks, messes with my karma. I came home. I immediately went to like, I need to like channel this. I started meditating. I started manifesting for myself. I started seeing a life where I didn't have to deal with this person. And in, in doing that, I thought back on all the instances where I was the bigger person. And then I realized I was the bigger person every time. The only time I wasn't was the first time that anyone said anything like that to me from her family. The first person to, to call me the N-word and talk to me that way and dehumanize me that way is her big sister. And what happened to her was her arm got broke. I pushed her into a snowbank after school because she caught, like she cornered me because I was saying bye. I said bye. So she decided that she was going to spit at me and then try to chase me to my bus. And I realized when I was running that I was faster, stronger, bigger. And I was like, why am I running from you? And when I stopped and she spit at me, I pushed her into a snowbank and she broke her arm. And I felt so bad about that. And then that cascade led me to give people the benefit of the doubt. If you say something like that, I have to accept your apology or I'm no better than you. No, not anymore. We're not doing that shit anymore. Because fast forward, 
till I go and I hang out with my people in Colorado. Uh, shout out to B and Haley. Went, 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 went. Uh, uh, uh. Um, we chilling. I'm having a great time down there. I'm a little heartbroken because I know I have to come back to some bullshit in Rochester. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Uh, I, I felt it in my core that I was going to have to come back to something dumb. So I come back here all heartbroken. I get back to Rochester. Uh, my foster sister picks me up from the airport. Uh, we ride back to their house. I get in my bus. I drive it back to the studio here where I am currently. I park it, make sure I get all my clothes and stuff out of there. And I'm just like really heartbroken. It's like late at night now. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And I'm just like, I have no one here to talk to. I have no one. And the reason why I thought I have no one is because I knew in my heart of hearts that I cannot reach out to this person. All of a sudden, they call me out of the blue. I tell them how I'm feeling. I tell them about my depression. I tell them about my insomnia because, like, I've been back for a day now and I haven't slept. I tell them what's going on and I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to, like, watch movies and just chill out. Oh, I'm going to come and see you. I'll be there in 30 minutes. Now, I told you it was 10 o'clock. This person didn't show up till 2.30 in the morning. And they showed up to my house all scatterbrained and frantic. Uh, red flag, eyes all bugged out, moving all fast, talking a lot, telling me everybody's business. Um, I say, I just want to hang out. I just want like, kind of like just watch movies and just chill. So I don't feel alone. Nope. Uh, they want to clean my apartment. We talked some more. We smoked a little bit of weed. Like I've told you in the past, like when I'm depressed, I don't give a shit about almost anything around me. Like I find it hard sometimes to executive function. Uh, the number one thing that I'm on top of when it comes to executive function is this show. I take better care of this show than I do myself. So I'm chilling. We're watching movies. We smoked a little bit of weed. It's four o'clock in the morning now. So I'm like, I'm going to close my eyes for a little bit because they're like moving around and being frantic. And I'm just tired. I'm exhausted at this point. So I close my eyes. I go to sleep. I don't know how long I'm out. I think I was out for like 40 minutes. I wake up. Um, they have to go all of a sudden. Uh, they got stuff to do. They're going to go home. We're going to meet at their house the next day to just hang out and chill. I go fine. I go back to sleep. I get up that next morning. Um, I go to my therapist and talk to her about what's going on. I come back home. I'm looking around my apartment and I'm realizing that there are things missing. There's things missing. Like, I go to get make tea, because I'm an avid tea drinker. Everybody knows this. I'm an avid tea drinker. So I go to make a cup of tea. Um, several kinds of my tea are missing. Um, my sugar is missing. Um, for some reason, weird, really weird, uh, my, the, my lube for my toys is missing. I'm like, what? What's going on here? Whole thing of salt, gone. Um, just gone. Uh, my tarot cards. Now, here's the important thing to remember about my tarot cards. You never touch another person's tarot cards. You don't touch the vessel it's in. You don't touch the area where they sit. You don't do that. You just don't. Inside of my Damon deck of tarot cards, which I keep the box, is a box with a book. And the cards underneath the book is this set of beads that I got from my mother. They're very important to me. Uh, I only touch them when I'm using my tarot cards. No one else is allowed. 
to move them, to touch my books, to touch my cards. No one. I start looking around my house and I'm like, where are my cards? Um, I kind of forget about it because I have to leave to go to Terry's house. So I drive over to Terry's house. And uh, we're supposed to be hanging out. I'm sitting outside for most of that time because I have to get ready. Um, like I have to get acclimated to there's a, a, a new dog over there, which is a cute dog. Not very, wasn't mean to me at all. Uh, barked a couple times, but it wasn't really serious. They didn't like try to bite me or anything like that. They're just a nice dog. This is uh, two other trans people's pet. Um, very important to them. And I, I understand that. So I'm sitting outside making sure that I'm not like, ruffling any feathers because energy at the house is always everywhere. It's always everywhere. So I'm sitting there, I'm chilling. We're all like, like I'm kind of just chilling outside for myself for at least an, an hour and a half. The other two people were the ones who were kind of like checking on me. Hey, how you doing? Oh, like, Hey, what's this? Hey, like you got a couple, like we drank some beer. I'm sitting there. I'm trying to be calm. This person's like walking around mumbling shit and like, uh, they, they love showing off. So they're like naked in their yard, which has no gate. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever you want to do. I don't really care because I've never cared about them doing that stuff because I'm not attracted to them. I'm, I can't be attracted to a person with that kind of energy. I just can't. I'm, I've just never have. I've never looked at them that way because I just was like, that's my friend. Eventually, the other two trans people come outside to hang out, which is great. We're talking. We're chilling out. We're having some fun. At some point, Eminem starts playing. I am not a fan of Eminem. No one is. Uh, well, like, well, at least two of us aren't. I didn't really say anything because I was just like, it'll be, it'll be over soon. The other person said, uh, is this Eminem? That's literally all they said. Is this Eminem? And this sparked a two and a half hour temper tantrum, yelling, misgendering, calling this person out of their name, saying violent shit downstairs about them. And they're outside the whole time this is happening. I'm the one who hears all of this because they feel comfortable doing these things around me. Now, not for nothing, this person is non-binary. That's great. But what you're doing is you're calling them by their old name. You were also uh, just blatantly like misusing their, their gender. And I stated it once, like, hey, that's not, you don't get to do that. I said it just like that. Hey, you don't get to do that. And I think you're blowing this out of proportion. Do you realize how much time you spent upset about this instance that happened two and a half hours ago? You don't get to do these kind of things because you're upset. You don't get to call people out their names. It's the same thing you did to me last time. I said it just like that. We were standing in the basement by the, the laundry machines because I was trying to do laundry while all this was going on. Um, Mind you, all of this is going on, and I've forgotten now that my cards were missing from my house. Now, while all of this is going on, and I'm calming them down, I decided I'm going to go outside and get some air. As I'm going to go outside, I notice a bag with my tea bags, my sugar, my lube, my slippers, like just a bunch of my shit in their house. So because I was upset at this point because of what I had to hear and how they were acting and how uh, like she was allowed to just have this fucking large temper tantrum as an almost 40 year old woman, I decided that I was going to leave. 
that I was invited over here because it was supposed to be so much more peaceful than where I was. And from the moment I got there to the moment I left, it was just nothing but just temper tantrum after temper tantrum after temper tantrum after selfish person centering themselves in everything. And what I learned from this situation is that the two people that they have over there, they're supposedly trying to help. But what, what happens to you when Terry helps you is that she centers herself in your problem. And then she makes herself into a savior. And then she puts you into a situation where you need her or depend on her. And then she exploits you whenever she gets a chance. That feeling you have in your stomach when she's walking around slamming doors and yelling at the top of her lungs is that you have no say in the matter because if you do, you won't have a place to stay. You won't be able to thrive. You won't be able to find better footing. And, and that's, that's the, the trick. That's the trick. I sat back and I watched it for a second and I realized that this is the same thing you did to me. You offer things, you go out of your way to do these things that you, everybody thinks are super kind. And then when you get called out for being a complete asshole, you pull them out. So I eventually grabbed my things and I left, but there were several things missing. When I got home, I once again looked at my altar, looked at the space where my cards were and realized that my cards weren't there. I looked through all the bags. I went out to my bus. I looked through all the bags that I took from of my stuff from this person's house and my cards weren't there. So what I did then was I called and I was like, there's my tarot cards. It is a daemon deck. It's a demon deck. And inside that deck of cards in the box are my mother's beads. Do not open the box. Do not touch the cards. Do not touch the beads. I want my things now. And I had to wait until the next day. And then I waited an entire day. They woke up. They told me at like four o'clock they were going to bring my cards to me. They didn't show up until almost nine o'clock at night. And when they showed up feeling bad about how they act the day before, all of a sudden they're in all this pain and they got to watch out for everybody else. And like they're crying and stuff like that, knowing that you crossed the line with me. And I wasn't even that upset. If you'd have just listened to me, we'd have been fine. But nope, you're above that because at the end of the day, accountability doesn't fit you. It doesn't fit you. You don't want it to. She was self-deprecating and she started calling herself names and all that other stuff because it's designed to make me feel bad so that I don't jump in your ass like I'm supposed to because you technically stole from my house. If you take things from a person's house without permission, what's it called, kids? Say it with me. Theft. So they pull up, they're crying. They have a bag of shit. They throw it on my porch. I have to take my things out of this bag. And they're like, oh, I got to go. And all that shit. And I'm like, how fucking dare you come over here crying? Because I'm over it. So I picked my shit up and I closed my door and went back inside my house. The next day, I'm looking. Again, I wake up. All my bongs are packed away and moved somewhere. I don't know where they are. Where are my things? So I ask. Hey, where are my bongs? I don't get an answer for three fucking hours. 
I don't know where my shit is. I looked all over my house for it. I don't know where any of it is. I'm checking uh, to make sure I didn't take it out to my bus. I'm making sure I'm doing due diligence, making sure that I didn't do anything to them. I didn't. I put them by my nightstand. They're all around my desk because I grab at them randomly because I smoke weed. Y'all know how we get down here. Trannels in the lived experience. <laughs> That's how we get down here. So after waiting that long, I had to like search to find their new roommates and ask, hey, do you see my bongs in your house? Oh, no, I don't see them. I'm like, thank you very much. I'm sorry I had to bother you. Is Terry there? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, how come she's not answering her phone? Is she asleep? And they're like, no, she's awake. So she was just ignoring me for hours because, and we're going to go, we, we said it already, this person feels too comfortable with doing things to me and getting away with it. They're used to painting someone else as the villain, painting someone else as the bad guy, and then mistreating them. Even if they're in the wrong, you stole from my house, you took things without asking, you moved things in my house without my permission, you put them in God knows where, and then when I ask for them, you're ignoring me. Now, fast forwarding back to the first instance where she called me all the N-words and said everything about my mother, I touched on the fact that I had to, like, waist train. And what happened that instance, I left and my waist trainer was still in her house. Do you know what she did? She kept it until my appointment was canceled. She purposefully kept it until my appointment was canceled. It wasn't that I was going to come over there and start any trouble or anything like that. She also threatened to call the police on me if I came to get it. And this is where I realized that this so-called ally, who was my sister from another mister and all that other shit, was no better than any other Karen. Because you live in Greece, New York, you think you're so much better than everybody else. But in Greece, New York, you're bottom rung. You struggle just like what the rest of us do. You have a hard time paying your bills. You have a hard time paying for food. And unlike you, when people help you, they don't throw it in your face. People are constantly helping her. Constantly. If it's not uh, if it's not helping with therapeutic things like, oh, you can come use my hot tub. Or, oh, here's some money for your, your vehicle that keeps breaking down. Or, oh, in my case, here's food for a house full of people that I know don't like me. Here's food for a house full of people that I knew for certain would not feed me. When it comes to those kind of things, it never came back. It was never reciprocal. But as a friend, you don't keep tally. You're not supposed to. I didn't know that you could because like that's never been a thing that any of my real friends do. We just do for each other. If we come out and you don't have any money, we got you. If we go someplace and you're short, we got you. If you hurt yourself, we're there to lend a hand. If you're sick, we'll try to check up on you. That's the kind of friends that I that I had. Um, but I realized that this this particular friend, the betrayer we speak of, was never that person. They only did things out of the kindness of transaction. And when you do things out of the kindness of transaction, it's because you are holding on to these transactional things so that when you're a dickhead, you get to pull them out. You get to be like, I'm not racist because I bought you groceries. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. What up, homie? What up, boss? Uh, you're going to be on my show because I just said your name. So shout out to boss, my homie. Wah, 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 wah. Ah, ah, ah. Um, straight out of Buffalo. Respect him. Uh, but let me get back to the story. Um, so what happens in this instance is this, uh, how do I say this? Uh, bitch takes my things out of my home, keeps them. Then when I ask for them, she ignores me. And then when I check her and do the thing that she did to me, I said, if you do not return or tell me where my items are, 
I will call the police and I will file a report because I know where this is going. Gang shit, gang shit, gang shit. Oh, um, so I call, I like, I call, I tell, I tell the person like, Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you ask Terry where my things are? And then and the minute I hear them like, Hey, Terry, this thing is missing. And she's like, I don't give a, I don't know where the fuck that is. I didn't fucking touch anything. Now, mind you, I just told you that this person had a whole temper tantrum was misgendering other trans people right in front of me. Not only in the back, in the background of our history has called me the N word and been super tr like problematic to me. And just like super unaware of American history. Like I'm telling y'all, uh, as much as we believe that the, the school system props up white people it, and it does, they're failing. Like the most educated people on the planet are black women. The system is set up for them to, for black women to lose and they out here winning. The system is set up to prop up white men and women and they don't give a shit about education. Like the things that you will find out that your friends do not know about history is astounding. My friend, it's crazy that people don't understand like some of the things that like white people have just been walking around, not knowing for decades, just are of it's a leisure. When you ask me when here's the thing, I'm going to say it like this. For the future, for you, keep this in your pocket. When a white person asks you, what is white privilege? This is how you answer it. White privilege is the ability to walk around purposefully obtuse. White privilege is the ability to walk around with the entirety of the academic system propping you up and still be dumb. It's the ability to be unaware of things, to not have to follow current events, to not have to know about the latest policies, to not have to know about the law, and certainly to revisit history however you see fit. Thus, the reason why people are walking around currently saying that, well, obviously black people benefited from slavery. They became blacksmiths and all those kind of things. So with that being said, she goes off on this tirade. She starts messaging me, and this is where she does it again. She's microaggressive racist, ableist, and transphobic in a single message. And I posted some of those messages to my um, Instagram. So you'll be able to see them on either one of my pages. That's at Trenos Pod or at Cameron Aos. And that's K-A-M-R-Y-N-E-O-S. Well, you're currently on now. You can go there and you can read some of the deluded, dumb shit that this person said to me in regards to me being like, hey, you realize that you're deploying racism because you're upset, right? That you, this huge super ally, all of a sudden you became like Rush Limbaugh because you're upset. White people believe that they can, they can go full racist because they stubbed their toe. They believe they can go full racist because they're having a bad day. I said it in previous episodes that white people have bad days. And when they have bad days, black people, trans people, homosexuals, and foreigners die. When they have bad days, all those microgroups die. The most dangerous of white people. And I'm going to say it again with my whole chest. White women are the most dangerous. You know how dangerous you know how dangerous you have to be to know that you fall under a group that patriarchy and racism also puts their thumb on top of and still fight as hard as you can to uphold it. Let's take a survey. How many, what percentage 
of white women voted for Trump last time. 52. That's how many. Hmm? What percentage of white women allowed the abortion laws to be overturned? Huh? 52. Which women are the loudest about losing their bodily autonomy? It's not trans women. It's not indigenous women. It's not Hispanic or Latino women. It's not Asian women. It's white women. It's crazy, right? Real crazy. And in these instances, when I'm looking back on this person, this grotesque, unruly, uneducated racist, I have to tell myself that I saw all the red flags. And in this instance, I didn't even allow room for an apology. I don't want your apology. Because you would have to apologize to me the exact same way you did the last time you did this. And the last time you did this, we know, both of us, that you learned nothing. You brought up my disability you call the trans person mentally ill for calling you out on your bullshit. I don't understand where mental illness came in, but we both know that I'm synesthetic and we both know that I'm on the spectrum. We both know that I'm neurodivergent and I managed to be out here raw dogging it with no medication and trying to live day to day to day. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't call this person a drug addict. I didn't attack the fact that they've been uh, assaulted or beat up. I didn't attack the fact that they have trauma from their childhood, but they did all of those things to me. All of those things to me. And then they tried to tokenize the person that they were misgendering in the conversation. They prepped me with, oh, well, I'm non-binary. That's great, but that's not what you were being called. When this person was talking to me in the basement while you were sitting outside, they called you every name in the book, and the only person who defended you was me. So all that aside, I know that your housing is on the line if you say anything, but mine isn't. So I'm going to stick with the actual truth because I was standing in the room listening to what was said. And this is the reason why I keep receipts. This is the reason why sometimes when things don't feel right in my spirit, I just start recording or I screenshot because nobody believes a black trans woman or a black woman for that matter. Nobody believes a black woman when we say things are happening to us, but now they do, don't they? And the silence that you hear from these other people that are like, what she did was terrible, but I'm going to hang out with her tomorrow is just another racist hanging around another racist to me. It's just what it is. If you don't call them to the carpet, and I'm, I'm going to tell you right this, don't, don't mess up your home, but if for all the rest of y'all, and you know who I'm talking about, all the rest of y'all that, like, oh, oh, she's too much. Oh, she said all these wild things all the time. Then y'all get around her and let her do it. Y'all some cowards. And you not you know different than she is. It's the difference between a leftist and a liberal. A leftist is going to stand on that shit. Going to be like, no, nah, you don't get to do that. But liberals are just as dangerous as conservatives. Especially liberal women. You're the most dangerous because you take up space. You add all this lip service. You waste our time. And then when accountability comes to call, you revert 
Now, if you look at that, if you look at my Instagram right now, um, you get a chance to go to K-A-M-R-Y-N, capital E-O-S, and you get to look at those text messages. I'm going to tell you right now for certain, this person said, I never said those things to you. I never said those things to you because for some reason they thought technology erased itself. So because I'm smart, I knew that this day would come. So I saved them, all of them. There's voice messages and voice memos that I don't know how to transcribe over yet. But when I figure out how to, I'm going to put those into the air too, because all racists deserve to be exposed. All of them. I don't care if we spent time together. I don't care if we've all, we've been through tumultuous times. I don't care if we've almost died together. Like that, that was me living. That was me living authentically. And that was you wearing a mask. So that doesn't matter to me anymore. I had to sit around some of, some of them. And like one of them's dating a black man, but uses the N word in front of me and then wonders why I don't talk to them anymore. He deals with it. I don't have to. Just because he's self-hating doesn't make me self-hating. And if you think that I'm going to sit around and be agreeable when that stuff's happening and you're sadly mistaken, and this time that you've known me from 12 to 43, like I've been in the constant the entire time, regardless of my transition, my, my, my inner spirit, my voice has always been the same. I don't deal with that kind of shit. So... I seem to have jumped off topic here, but while I have the breath in me to do it, uh, once again, Tranos and the lived experience is brought to you by the meeting of marijuana and music. And today's strain is called memory loss. I needed to jump into this episode really quick, so I forgot to do it in the beginning, but we're going to do it now. Memory Loss is a fast-finishing 70% sativa hybrid from Archive Seed Bank. It smells very much like a Dutch haze with a strong peppery incense odor and undertones of bubblegum and fruit. Um, this is crossed with amnesia haze and a face-off OG. It's male-produced. It's very large, easy-to-grow plants, and heavy yields. Memory loss is named for its mind-warping high that can leave users disoriented and forgetful. Now, I smoked some of this before the episode happened, and I forgot to tell you about the musical meeting. So I'm guessing it worked. Um, and today's song is brought to you by project 86 and it's called my will be a dead man so when this episode comes out on monday at 6 a.m do yourself a favor before you get a chance to and you're going to hear it um i'm probably going to repeat it either on your way to work or on your way home make sure that you listen to my will be a dead man it's a great song it's i've, I've been listening to it for years project 86 is a very underrated new metal band and nobody talked about um, so do yourself a favor and listen to my will be a dead man. Back to the episode. What? Wait, before we go back to the episode, you know what I think I need to do? I think I need to calm down a little bit. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a hit of this memory loss. Live. And you've listened to the show before. And if you're new here, if you hear cough, cough, click, click, bubble, bubble, it's, it's legal in New York. We're all adults. Grow up. Here we go.
<coughs> oh, it got me. <coughs> it is fruity, though. I gotta make sure we clear it, because I don't want to cough the next time I hit it. So, you're reading the Instagram photos that I've left of the text message between me and this person. And you're asking yourself, how could someone deny what they did? I'm going to tell you how. Because white people who do these kind of things, not singling out all white people, I'm saying white people who talk the way that she does, they do it for one reason. Because they're not afraid of being racist. They're not afraid of being mean or dehumanizing you. They're not afraid of harming you. They're not afraid of hurting your feelings. They're not afraid of threatening authority on you. What they're afraid of is you knowing that they did it. More than doing it to me, they don't want their counterparts, who at times are in spaces that are way more leftist, way more progressive, way more thoughtful about these situations, way more educated. They don't want them to know that they've been faking the funk the whole time. I think back to when my cousin Shalanda was alive. And I remember, and everybody else acts like, like I'm supposed to forget. I remember a story before I actually started hanging out with Terry, where Shalanda told me that she was accused of stealing by this person and called every name in the book, threatened with violence, threatened with police, threatened with weapons. And I believed my cousin. She stopped me from coming over there to do something before I even met her. Before I even stepped foot in the house for the first time. She stopped me from going over there. Because I was so upset by the things that I was told that I was like, somebody has to do something about this. The only reason why a person would feel this comfortable talking to you this way is because they never saw you as human. How could this person be your friend? And then I met her. And I got all this. I learned from my mistakes. And I've said it in the past. And I'm, I'm trying to be better. And I'm never going to do anything like that again. And then you do it every time you get upset. It's not necessarily aimed at me every time. But you do it every time you're upset. It's just. It's disheartening to know. That so many of your friends. And we've talked about this in past episodes. Shout out to Righteous Ron. Um, for also being a piece of shit. Who pulls this kind of stuff. Um, some people will wear a mask around you until it suits them. For a lot of people in your life who act this way, that time was 2016. A lot of other people decided they were going to hold their cards to see how it played out before they took their mask off. Terry's one of them. You speak to me like I'm not a human. You speak to me like I haven't done anything with you, for you, to protect you. You talk to me like I'm, like... Like, I'm the aggressor. Like, I'm the villain. You're the villain. And that's a stretch because villains are generally intelligent. They plot and they plan and they think. You're a villain of circumstance. You get to hide behind, like, being a teenager, a perpetual teenager. Oh, this is better than theirs and my car's better than theirs and they live in the hood. I don't know if you know this or not, but the part of Greece you live in is also the hood. 
Poverty knows no barriers. To have begged, walked around with me and watched me buy you three, four hundred dollars worth of groceries and then be like, that person over there is poor. We're all poor. We're all poor. And the things that I did for you were to help. And I'm not bringing it up now because I'm throwing it in your face. I'm bringing it up now to show the contrast. I did that from the kindness of my heart. And it never came up when you and I got into it. But what you did, you lived in my house. I paid rent in your house. If you were homeless tomorrow, well, before this happened, if you would have been homeless at any point, you could have lived with me. But it would have always ended up this way because you wore a mask. There's so many counterfeits out here. So many. I've been educating the world on what to look for when it comes to fake allies for damn near four years now. And I still end up in a situation with a fake ally, a fake friend, a fake confidant, a fake sister. You tokenize black people. You demonize us. You weaponize the police when you got the chance to. You weaponize legal language like you know anything. Last time I checked, only one of us has been to jail. It ain't me. I'm not the one having temper tantrums and doing public damage to public properties. I'm not the one who's been in massive amounts of car accidents because they can't keep it together. I'm not the one going through car after car after car after car because I don't know how to use the voice inside. But here I am calling you on something as small as don't take from my house without permission. And what I got in return was transphobia, racist microaggressions, ableism, tokenism, and transactional truths. The end of the story is as such, I wish no ill will on this person, only what they deserve. Because when I speak into the ether, I'm still thinking about karma always. I don't want the karma of you on my conscience. So whatever happens to you is for you to decide. But the thing that I get to make a decision on is whether I deal with you ever again. The answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. I said it. I said it once. And and then I was I was lighthearted and I was and I and I was sentimental about it and, and now it's the second time and I fucking mean it. I don't care. I don't care to talk to you anymore. I don't care where you go. I don't care who you hang out with. When you see me act like you don't, I'll do the same. Do not escalate things to anger. Do not approach me. None of that stuff. Stay away from me. And I'm gonna stay away from you. And just like last time, I'm going to sit back and I'm not even going to watch what karma does to you. I'm going to live the rest of my life. Because I realized I lost a lot of people in the past because they didn't want to deal with you. 
I realized when I got away from you, those people just came back. Because for a while, I was like, oh, like, where's the negative energy in the room? No, no, no. You are. You always have been. You've been aggressive to every person we know. You've argued with everybody we've known. You get into these petty, like, blood feuds with everyone. And this is the second time you've gotten one with me. And this is the first time that I've decided to volley back. This is my this is my first and final volley. And what it is, is I hope that I never see you again. I hope that I never have to deal with a person like you anymore. I hope that you find some kind of education. I hope that you find everything that you deserve. I hope that everything that you deserve finds you. That's it. This is the most involved, the most uh, emotional episode I've done to date other than crying. And I, I swear to you, I'm not going to shed a tear. I swear to you, I'm not going to shed a tear this episode for this person. I do not care if I never see that person again. There's only so much you can say to me. I've never been that to them. Vile, cruel, violent. I've never been any of those things. And I have the capacity to be all of those things. I was always the level-headed one. I had to, the Tranos had to be the level-headed one. So you know this person is walking around here half-cocked, just blowing up on people. Every person that they've called their best friend no longer talks to them anymore. And I am just the new person on that list. You know what I say? I say good riddance to bad rubbish. And may the sun rise and set on the betrayer. And with that being said, this has been Tranos and the Lived Experienced. I'm your host, Kamrayin Elin Maharet Jarel, a.k.a. Tranos. Say it with your whole chest. Or be crushed under the weight of exposure, betrayer. And this has been Tranos and the Lived Experienced. <laughs> the show that won't be fooled again. Man, I was corny. <laughs>